this is the commercial property show, Australia. Show number 52. Because I gave him the higher offer, I then managed to get the vendor finance with no interest. So I'm just paying it back in 18 months, but I'm not paying any interest on it. I just said that the interest is in the higher offer. So That is insane. <laughs> yeah. This so, deal just gets better and better. Are you kidding? You're not, yeah. So you're not paying any interest on this money and you still, you just base, he just gave you a loan. That's it. Yeah. He just gave you a loan at 0% interest. That's, That's 0%. crazy. <laughs> Hey, commercial property community. Thank you so much for joining me again today. My name is Andrew Bean. I am your host today, and I have an absolute ripper episode for you today, and here it is. Cecilia Axelson joins me on this week's episode to talk about her absolutely amazing, inspiring deal that she put together when she was on maternity leave. She had absolutely no income. It had vendor finance in it, which is the holy grail of investing in commercial property and just all of the hurdles she had to get over to get this deal done. She talks about how she followed up. She followed up not only just with the agent, but followed up online seeing if the property transacted. She talks about putting in multiple offers, which is always an excellent idea when you're trying to steer the vendor into the the direction that you want them to go, which was her vendor finance option. We talk about locations that are good for these type of deals. We also talk about the actual property itself, how it was perfect for this vendor finance deal. So if you're looking to try and pull off deals like this, you can use this episode as a step-by-step guide to make sure that you're going into the right situation, you're looking for the right situation to be successful putting together no and low money down deals with vendor finance. It's an excellent strategy. It's very, very hard to do, but it does happen and Cecilia is the proof of that. So it's a great episode. I hope you like it. But first, if you're struggling to figure out if that industrial investment that you're looking at is being sold at a fair cap rate or the rate per square meter is to market or how many new leases have actually been written in the last month and you just want to understand the supply and demand of a market, then check out CP Data. That's commercialpropertydata.com. The only platform that breaks down commercial property data sector by sector for you, the investor, to make informed decisions that are backed with solid data. That's www.commercialpropertydata.com.au. Check out our free membership today. Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself 
with like-minded people who have similar property goals, people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. You can find our private group on Facebook by searching commercial property community or you can click on the link in the show notes. Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum and together we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. Our next guest has a truly inspiring story being a mum and at the time having no income and still being able to pull off her first commercial deal. It's Cecilia Axelson. How are you, Cecilia? I'm great, Andrew. How are you going? I am fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show. No problem at all. So, Cecilia, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, like what you do for work and you know, basically your background? Yeah, sure. So my background is actually interior design, but I currently work as a uh, construction project manager, consultancy side. So I've sort of moved into that side of my line of work, if you like. So I've progressed from architecture into project management throughout the years. Oh, great. So you do have some sort of a property background, just not related to like really investing. It's more like you're doing the actual construction work and architecture. Yeah, exactly. I've done some smaller developments as well in the past. And I guess the confidence to do that has come from from my line of work, really, because it's not news to me being on site or anything like that. And dealing with builders is not that scary because it can be very scary if you don't if you haven't done it before. So, yeah, you could say that I'm in the property industry, just not on the commercial side so much. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, being a female in that industry, is that a norm or is like, obviously that probably, you wouldn't be overly populated there in the female population in that industry? Exactly. You're right. It's still very male dominated, I would say, but it is getting better. And particularly with the larger project management companies and particularly with the um, consultancy side project management company. So you can also be a project manager for a construction company, and that's even more male-dominated still. But um, the consultancies are uh, trying to make it as close as 50-50 as they can, which is great. It's great to see. Yeah, we need a lot more women in commercial property. We're lacking a lot of women in commercial property, and we need more people and then women and stuff, uh, you know, investing in this great asset. Yeah, that's right. So today we're going to talk about this amazing deal that you pulled off last December. So where was it located? So the property is in Townsville in Queensland. Yep. Okay. And uh, where are you located? So I'm located in Bondi Beach in uh, Sydney, New South Wales. So yeah, quite far away. It's not really driving distance, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So do you live in an apartment in Bondi? Yes, I do. Yeah. So you just had a baby, right? That's right. I did. Exactly one year ago, I had a baby. <laughs> wow, that is crazy. So how did you go with uh, lockdown in apartment? I, I get bet that would have been tough. Yeah, look, I think you just get used to it, don't you? I've lived in apartments sort of all my, or I grew up in a house, but I've lived in apartments most of my life, my adult life. So you just get used to it. Um, and when they're small, they don't really caused too much trouble so it was it wasn't that bad actually it wasn't that bad at all I mean I could just walk down the road and I'd be at the beach so you know you don't I guess you spend less time inside yeah and more time outside yeah yeah I guess you're in the kind of the right age group there for where the apartment really isn't too much of a burden but if that child is like two three years old like my eldest son gee that would have been tough he's the most uh 
you know, active child, keeping him cooped up in a house for five months or four months or whatever it was, it would have been an absolute nightmare. Yeah, I can imagine. I have that to look forward to. (laughs) So how did you find this property? So I was at the time then on maternity leave already. So I had a little bit of spare time. So I was just browsing on the internet and I just found it on Real Commercial. Okay, so you didn't find it like it's not an off-market deal, you didn't know the person, nothing crazy like that? No, so nothing crazy like that. It did turn into an off-market deal because the the vendor actually took it off the market. So what happened was I called the agent about the property. It was already under contract or not under contract, it was under offer. And then I said, well, I'm really interested in it, so let me know if it falls through. And then I just proceeded to look at other properties, and one of them was actually with the same agent. So I guess he was just keen for me to proceed with what I was looking at at the time. So he never let me know that the offer actually didn't proceed to contract. Mm -hmm. So I just asked him, I followed up a couple of months later, and I just said, oh, what happened to that property? Did that did that ever sell? And he said, oh, no, it's off the market now. The vendor's taking it off the market. And I always thought that that was quite odd. Why would you take it off the market? But now I know how much it costs to list on uh, realcommercial.com because I'm listing one of the tenancies for rent. So maybe it was that he just thought, I'll just give it a a break and then list it again because it is quite expensive to list it. But if you really want to sell it, then you would presume that it would be on the market rather than off the market. But again, maybe he thought if it sits on the market for a bit, it slides down to the bottom anyway. So then I thought, oh, perfect opportunity for me to jump in here and, and make an offer. And it had one vacancy out of 11 tenancies. So I thought that's not too bad anyway. So I said, would he be interested in selling it with the vacancy instead of trying to find a tenant and then putting it back on the market? And then he said, yeah, probably just put an offer forward. So I did my numbers and I didn't have the money to buy this. So I knew that I would have to either get vendor finance or borrow money from other people, like private investors that lend money to people or friends, family or a bit of both. So I knew that already. So I did the numbers on two scenarios because if you get private funding, you have to pay them quite a lot of interest. So you've got to factor that in. So I did the I did two options, one with vendor finance, so that was the higher offer, and then the other offer was without vendor finance, more straightforward for the vendor. So I thought either wants to sell it quickly or he wants a little bit more money. So obviously when you present two offers like that, they're always interested in the higher offers. I've done this a couple of times before. They usually go for the higher offer but wants the condition of the lower offer. <laughs> And I said, well, you can't have the best of both worlds. So if it's the higher offer, then it's the vendor finance. So this is this is really awesome. I've got to go through this again. So the key that I think that in this scenario is that you actually just followed this up. Yes. The money is in the follow-up. I don't think people really do the follow-up. So they'll inquire, it doesn't go through, and then they won't ever think about it again. But this listing, you kept looking at it. And you Mm. saw that it went off the market. It never actually transacted and you followed up. I think that's where the main point of this was. And then you didn't have the money in the first place, but you were already thinking about, well, that didn't stop you. And you were already thinking about how I can actually transact this without having the amount or the money that I need for this. And then the awesome thing as well is you put in two offers. Like that's, people don't usually do that either with a vendor finance piece. And 
that's just this is exactly what creative financing and commercial property and this show is about. It's just getting stuff done without always having the resources and just figuring out this is awesome. Well yeah. done. <laughs> that's great. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, look, it's and I think the I love that side of it, that it's like you can do anything and you're dealing with business people. So they're more open to this sort of stuff that it doesn't scare them off that much because, you know, they're usually running their business and they usually have a few things going on. So they are more open to it, I find, than, say, for example, a development site or a house that is just a normal house that you want to knock down. They're usually a bit more hesitant to go for that sort of deal. Yeah. So I just want to clarify, have you ever been to Townsville? No, not previously. No, I hadn't been to Townsville. So the reason why Townsville sort of popped up on my radar was that I did the James Dawson commercial property course and then I proceeded to do the private coaching. Okay. Yeah, so I thought I've looked at this for a couple of years now. I haven't pulled the trigger on anything. I think I just need that extra push like and sum up because it is a bit nerve-wracking and I just needed someone to just – I was almost there, but I just needed someone to give me the confidence to actually push through with something. So I brought it, we, we sort of, in, during that private coaching, you know, we were sort of thrashing out some different locations and what are you looking for, the yield, et cetera, et cetera. And it had a, comparatively speaking, quite high yield for such a large town. So usually when you get yields like that, at the time, it was like 8.5, something like that, and sometimes 9 that was before the yield compression and that's usually Broken Hill or something like some really small towns where you get that that is then carries that additional risk if you do have vacancies and Townsville is such a large town so I thought look it's probably a good middle ground like you get the it's a large-ish town it's got a few things happening and you're still getting a high yield so I was interested, so I presented that and, and I got sort of confirmation that I was on the right track with that location and other locations as well. So I sort of focused in on that location just based on that and just looked into it deeper and deeper. Oh, awesome. And who is your private coach? Desley Ritter. Oh, Desley. She's been on the show. Oh, has she? Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's been on the show uh, back in, you know, I can't remember the exact episode, but it was the first couple of 10 shows I think she was on there. So, yeah. Oh. go back and listen to Desley. I'll, I'll put it in the links in the show notes. Yeah, do. Because I thought I'd listen to all the episodes. I must have missed that one. Yeah, yeah. So basically, like, not have ever having going gone to Townsville, you still had the confidence to invest there because you had someone in your corner talking to you about what we needed to do to get a deal done. And then you also, you figured out the exact scenario, which where you would be able to get a deal done. And then you found the location on where the deals in that area would make sense for what you actually could do. So that's awesome. Because yeah. vendor finance and exactly what you've done, it doesn't work on every market. Like no. if you try to do this in Sydney, they just tell you to stick it. They would never, ever look at this in Sydney. But more of your your second, third tier regional markets, people are open to creative financing because there aren't always a lot of options for people to actually buy the properties. Mm. So you have to make sure you're picking the right markets to go in with this strategy because it will not work. I've been laughed at before <laughs> quite a few times when I've I suggested have well, this in the wrong me. markets. <laughs> you know, and this pulling off a vendor finance deal is, it's not the norm. I mean, I've, 
I've tried to do this and many people have tried to do this as well and we've all failed. So, you know, congratulations to you for pulling off a vendor <laughs> finance you. deal because it's, it's not the norm, but it's it's basically the holy grail of investing yeah, and in commercial property. Yeah, it is property. possible. It definitely yeah. is possible, but I think it's just a perfect storm. So it's a combination yeah. of the location, the type of property it is and what the situation is for the, the vendor situation, basically. Like what does he want to do? Because I offered to buy, so this property is kind of two properties in one. So the agents, you know, he wasn't he wasn't really that keen on the vendor finance because it's they harder. For, they never are. So yeah. I think that it was more him that didn't even wanted to push it through in the first place. And then he said, why don't you just buy one of the properties? Because it's a one corner property and then next to it is a strip of three shops. But he wanted to sell it all as the one. And I said, well, okay. And he then approached the vendor, but he wanted to sell it all. And I said, well, he wants to sell it all in the one go. So why don't you just approach him with the vendor finance like I've asked for? So then he did that. And then I think it was just more important for the vendor to just sell it off because he was moving overseas. And there's things like that that you just don't know until you start digging into each and every situation as what their circumstances are. And he was just keen to move on from it. He has had it for 15 years and he's done a lot of work to it as well. So, you know, he's obviously doing other things. He's a developer. So he probably just wanted to free up some cash and get on with his next development, I presume. Yeah, I mean, you said it exactly right. It really comes down to their circumstance, them wanting to get out of the property. Or sometimes some people just want to have an income but they don't want to run and manage the property. So usually the vendor finance piece actually works better when you're talking directly to the owner, but it's very hard to get in front of owners and actually talk to them about buying their property. You're always going through that middleman, the agent. Mm, It's definitely the situation has to be exactly like all of the stars have to align for it to happen to be even a possibility. Yeah, no, that's right. And I've asked many times and I've kind of had, yes, maybe, but then to take it to the next step and actually draw up those legal agreements and get it over the line, that's where it's really, because it's, it's okay to have those high-level discussions, but then to really push it through, that's when it really becomes complicated. They push back on terms and this and that, and then the lawyers get involved. And, and you know, sometimes you get these crazy contracts put in front of you that I'm going to take everything you own and your firstborn and everything. So, you know, you need to have someone strong in your corner just to make sure that they're getting the right security for the vendor finance, but not the security over your entire life, essentially. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I've had a vendor finance deal accepted before. And then when I got it to the mortgage broker, she's like, the bank will never, ever finance this like this because it's 100% finance. So I basically got shut down then and there. So I actually, I'm really interested in how you got this over the line, but we'll save that for a little bit later. So how long was the property listed for before it basically got taken off the market? So it was listed for five months, roughly. Yeah. And so what did you do? I mean, did you obviously inquire on the property? So it went into your saved part in real commercial and then you just kept on having a look to see if it had transacted? Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. So I looked at another property during, so when I heard that it was under offer, then I just started looking at other properties. And then I just, I always just go back to it every so often, all the properties that I've starred and then just check what happened to them and see if they sold, what they sold, when I've got RP data as well. So I usually follow up and check what's been happening with it because I couldn't find it anymore. It was completely taken off the market and that's when I asked the agent 
if it actually did sell because it takes a while to get even if it does sell it doesn't register on upper data for example until however long six weeks or whatever it is after so I thought maybe it had transacted but it just didn't show up yet but then I found out that it was just taken off so it does happen more often than you'd think just the follow-up the the money's in the follow-up it's just like everything else like business any kind of sales property as well it's just a follow-up that's right and the vendor would probably be devastated to hear that there were people asking about the property when it was offline but the agent didn't make an effort to actually contact those people because he never contacted me to say it's been taken offline and the offer fell through. He could have done that, but he didn't, never did that. So I guess that's something to keep in mind for if I ever become a vendor as well, like you really got to be on top of them to make sure that mm. they're actually working hard for you to sell your property. Yeah, because I mean, all agents aren't, aren't made equal and he's probably gone through the ringer with this vendor and he's got sick of it and he's like, we're never going to make a sale. So he's just, he's moving on to where he thinks his time and he can get the most amount of the dollars from his time. And this That's vendor right. wasn't part of it. So he just threw it in the bin. So and if you weren't there sniffing around, there's no way you would have got this deal. So it's so, it's so awesome. I love this. So was it five months from the period of you finding it to yep. you actually, how long was it till you settled the deal? How long was the whole thing? The whole thing took about seven months and I would yep. say that the majority of that time was to find a lender that would accept A, me being on maternity leave, no income, B, not putting any deposit towards the deal. So it's 100% funded by vendor finance and C, getting the 75% funding rather than the 60 or the 50 or the even the 70 because the vendor wouldn't do more than 25%. So I originally asked for 35% just to have a bit of buffer because I know that most lenders like to sit around the 70% lend. So I think I thought if I approach it at 65, then I'll have a little bit of buffer there. But he said no, no more than 25% was he willing to leave in the deal. So then I had to then find a lender that would do the 75 because even if you get 100% vendor finance for the deposit, you still need to pay for stamp, you still need to pay for some due diligence costs, you still need to pay for legal, pest and building inspection. I mean, there's still costs in yep. above the hundred thousands for a purchase like this. So you still need a little bit of money or borrow money from, I don't know, your family or anyone you can find that will lend you that money, but that money can never be known to the bank as a loan because then they won't go ahead with it. So they, they do prefer that you have a bit of skin in the game. But say, for example, if your parents have it and you can borrow it from them, that's a way to do it with actually zero money. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, doing vendor finance, you do obviously need some a bit of cash. Some of the best vendor finance places to, to look at are places that don't charge stamp duty like South Australia and ACT Canberra. Yeah. So you can really get it done basically with very, very minimal money in the deal. That's right. I actually, at one stage, I did look at South Australia, but the, then sort of moved off my radar when I started to focus on Townsville. But I, for that reason, that you just need less money to get into it if they agree to the vendor finance. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about uh, your maternity leave. You also had no income while you were putting this deal together. That's pretty unheard of as well. Like, can you tell me about that? Yes, I guess that was what the driver was because I just, 
I just found myself. So I wasn't a permanent resident at the time. So my work had put through my permanent residency application, but it hadn't gone through. So I wasn't entitled to any maternity leave pay, unfortunately. And that really sort of made me realise I really got to do something here because I've I've got nothing (laughs) for a whole year. What am I going to do? So then I thought, well, I should just try. Like there's no hurt in trying. So I'll just try and see what I can do with this. And and if I can get some income from that, then fantastic. Now, because the deal sort of took so long, my maternity leave was almost over by the time it settled anyway. But now I've got that extra income. So that always helps. So you had maternity leave and you weren't a citizen and you weren't getting any kind of payment from the government for your maternity leave at all? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Wow. If you're not a permanent resident for two years, I think it is, then you don't get anything at all. Yeah, my fiance's our maternity leave has just dried up for our second baby. So she's got to get back to work. Yeah, it's a tough <laughs> one. It's tough yeah. to have a family, especially with two and then having to work as well. It's yeah, that's even... right. That's right. Well, she's a, a casual primary school teacher. So it's it's actually a lot more flexible where she can just do one, two couple of days if she wants to and still um be able to look after the kids. So Oh, that's good. That's good. So can you describe the property type and how many tenants? You already told me there was a vacancy, but can you really like just describe how many tenants there were, what sector it is, like exactly the total aesthetics of the property? Yeah, sure. So as I said, there's there's basically two buildings. So there's one that is called one to nine, and that's a two-story building. So that's got three commercial tenants in the bottom, and it's like on a corner. So it looks like sort of like an old-style hotel if you like, sort of colonial style building. Then on top, there's five residential one bedroom units. And then next to it, there's a strip of three shops. So that's 11 to 15. And those two properties are actually on separate titles. And that's what really sparked my interest for this property and why I thought that it would work with the vendor finance, because I already saw an opportunity to quite quickly and easily sell those three shops off and pay back the vendor finance that way. So how many total tenants were there? So there's a total of 11 tenancies. And then with the one vacancy, there were 10 tenants occupying at the moment. And I think this is the key as well. This deal, it sounds like it's exactly what you'd want for a vendor finance deal because you need multiple tenants and you need that option to be able to subdivide and sell. And you already had it split from day one. So it's already sellable for you as well. So what did... What did the leases look like? Did you calculate the whale? I did, but I don't have that here now. But I can just quickly run through it because I've got the actual lease terms here. So in the two-storey buildings, there's the three and their lease expiry dates are one is expiring now in May 2022 and then we've got one in end of June 2024 and then we've got one in March 2023 so that one was quite good and then we've got the other the three shops to the side similar story 2023 2023 and then the vacancy then so that has the vacancy those three shops there and then the residential units are on between six to 12 month leases as well yeah Okay, so I mean, realistically, you're going to be firming up all of these leases to more of a long-term lease very, very soon. So it's only going to create value in that property as well. Yeah, exactly. So I've approached some of the, or one one of the tenants that their lease expires this year in 2022. 
so I've approached him to see if he wants to extend as well. And I've also, so I'm planning to do some painting and things like that. So I've also approached some of the tenants to say, if I do this painting of your exterior, are you willing to re-sign a new brand new three-year lease? And then I've offered, I saw that one of the tenants only had a small sign, so I've offered to put a larger sign up for her if she signs a new lease. So that's with the agent at the moment, and they're just checking if they would be interested in that. Beautiful. And did you buy this on a yield that didn't include the vacancy? So once you get that vacancy, it's going to be a huge yield? Yeah, I did. I calculated it with at least and then also with the vacancy. So I made sure that I was happy with the yield even with the vacancy. So I always, this is the James Dawson course taught me this and Des taught me this, that you always have to do one calculation that includes all of the costs. Mm -hmm. So the yield on all of the costs, not just the purchase price. And then I also do the yield calculation, the net yield on the purchase price, because that's the one that the agent is talking about, just so you're on the same page with the agent. Because if you come back and say to him, oh, the yield is 6%, he's going to go, no, it's not, it's 7 And that's yep. because he would never include those costs. So I always just do both, just to make sure that I'm happy with both figures. So currently with one vacancy, including all of the costs that I now know exactly what they were, it's uh, 6.4% net yield. Yep. And then fully let, it will be at 7% net yield. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So it's just the all-in costs. You're always, when you're putting a guinea cash flow calculator, you want to have, basically, it just encompasses every single thing in the deal. Then you can get a true reflection of how much it's actually going to cost you or how much you get in return. So, and how much was the property listed for originally? And then how much did you buy it for? So it was originally listed for 1.9. Yep. And then I got it for 1.82. Wow. So you yeah. didn't have to go up to get the vendor finance over the line. That's right. I don't know what the offer was. So I'm not sure that the offer that he sort of accepted that went to the due diligence period, I don't know if that was lower or higher than my offer. I'm not sure about that. Because sometimes they can list the property at whatever value and that doesn't actually reflect the, the value or mm. the because the yield in that location should be higher. So I thought I would not have, I mean, now that I know what happened to the market and that it got tighter and tighter, I probably would have gone to 1.9. But at the time, I was quite with my 1.82, that that was my absolute maximum that I wanted to pay for it. And did you find out why? Because you said that someone went to due diligence, obviously had this, they exchanged contracts, They've gone to due diligence and they pulled out in due diligence. Did you find out why they'd actually got out of the deal? Yeah, the agent said that they weren't happy with the insurance. So what happened was there's a tattoo artist in one of the tenancies and that usually means that the insurance is higher than what it usually would be. And that's fine by me. I just added in the higher figure and with that higher figure, that is the net yield that I just said. To me, that didn't really matter, but maybe he was looking for an even higher yield. So by the time he added in the additional insurance cost, then took him to a figure that he wasn't happy with. Yeah. I think this is part of the perfect storm as well, where he'd had someone exchange and it fell apart. And then he's like, I'm sick of this. I just want to, I'm not going to sell it. And this is all stacking up in your favor because now you're coming along with this really nice shiny offer and you're like, oh, okay, well, I can actually get this done now. It definitely in your favor for this falling apart, that contract. 
Yeah, that's right. And because I gave him the higher offer, I then managed to get the vendor finance with no interest. So I'm just paying it back in 18 months, but I'm not paying any interest on it. I just said that the interest is in the higher offer. So That is insane. <laughs> this so, deal just gets better and better. Are you kidding? You know, yeah. So you're not paying any interest on this money and you still, you just base, he just gave you a loan. That's it. Yeah. He just gave you a loan at 0% interest. That's, That's 0%. crazy. That's <laughs> so so cool. my, my argument when I was negotiating that was that, well, I'm paying you extra money for it. So that's your interest, essentially. Your higher offer is the interest. And then, yeah, so he accepted that. So that was fantastic. Wow, that is amazing. So, I mean, how much deposit and, and did you have available for this? How much actual money did you put into this deal? We had 170000 Yeah. But we were also, at the time, just starting a three-townhouse development. So also funded by private funding. But I was planning to have some of that 170S contingency. So I didn't want to use it all, but but I did have it there. So I ended up using 120 of it. Yeah. So, yeah, I put 120,000 in. Okay, awesome. So can you explain, like, the exact deal structure, percentages, how many years you're going to be have in this vendor finance for this deal? So, like, percentages of bank finance, private finance, and then also vendor finance. And obviously, I know now no interest in the vendor finance, but just to let me know what, what, where, where you are with that. Yeah, sure. So the vendor finance piece is going to get paid back in 18 months. And if I fail to pay it back, then it will default to an 8% annual interest. So for whatever reason, if I can't sell the three shops or if something happens, then it will there is an option for me to continue on, but then I will have to start paying interest after the 18 months. So the plan is essentially to sell those shops off. So do a little bit of a tidy up, just a little bit of paint and replacing some columns, some timber columns at the front and just clean up the awning a little bit as well. And then just put that back on the market, sell it, pay back the vendor finance. And then if there's any funds left in the deal, I'm just going to put that on the pay down the loan for the property that I'm keeping. So I'm planning to keep the corner one, the double story with the residential units and that one I'm going to paint as well. And also I will probably with time convert it to Airbnb. So I'm going to convert the residential units to Airbnb. They're quite good at the moment because the previous owner, he renovated them because he's a developer. So he's just already renovated them, but they could probably do with a little bit more renovation and then just put them on Airbnb. And so like, did you need to have any security over the vendor finance, like over another property or something like that? So he's just taken security over this property. Yes, that's awesome. What was the uh, LVR, the bank piece of this deal? So that was 75%. It was quite hard to find a lender that would uh, accept that, the 75 plus the vendor finance. So what I had to do was that I contacted a broker, Max Farlane, I think. Yep. Yep. You know, Max, so he's a very good broker, very creative. I could not have gotten this over the line because I've never heard about this funder before. So he went to a company called Think Tank and apparently they fund more creative deals. They do charge for it though. So I'm paying a 4.65 interest for that. 
However, once everything's sort of said and done and I've done, I've sold it off, I've paid some off, then we can go. And now I've got my salary back as well. So now I'm no longer on maternity leave. I've had the property for, say, a year. Then you can show financial statements of a positive income plus my salary. And there are no hairs on it anymore. <laughs> so I've sort of removed <laughs> the hairs. There's no vendor finance involved anymore. And then we can just refinance with the, one of the major fours and get a better interest as well. So was that 4.65, was it? Yeah. So that's really not that bad, really. And, and look, people really worry about the interest rate, especially on residential homes and things like that. But realistically, it's about getting the deal done. It doesn't matter what you're paying. As long as you've calculated into your numbers that you can afford this interest rate, it's actually more important to be able to get the deal done, have a lower return for the first you know, 12, 18 months until you've done all your work on it and then refinance that. And you'll be getting you know, around a, probably a, a 3% or even lower interest rate on that and everything will be boosted up again. It's a great, it's a great deal. And that's the way I looked at it because the numbers don't lie. Like when you look at the numbers, you're just thinking, yeah, okay, this interest is a little bit high. There's a little bit of risk in here. But there's also, it's calculated risk because I can sell stuff off. And I guess my additional risk mitigation was that I do have three townhouses that are completing in April. So if, if everything fails with selling those three shops off, I could always sell one of them and that way pay it back as well. So I had that in the back of my mind, knowing that I probably won't be in a really risky situation with this, even if it doesn't go to plan exactly. And also, if you're getting money in your bank account every month, as you say, it doesn't really matter if you're for a period of time paying a little bit of higher interest. I'm not negatively gearing. I'm, you know, I'm I'm getting 5,500 in my bank account cash flow every month. So you can't lose with that. (laughs) That's right. That's beautiful. So, I mean, when you first saw this deal, you obviously had vendor finance in mind, but did you have an idea of how this deal would exactly be structured like this and then you actually executed it or did it evolve over time? I had an idea in my mind when I found out that it was already on a separate title. So those three shops were already on a separate title that's when I really got interested because then I thought, okay, that's quite a straightforward, like that. that's quite a straightforward strategy. There's not much that I have to do here to be able to put that back on the market. I could have just put that straight back on the market, but I wanted to clean it up a little bit and, and just make it more presentable. Yeah. And so when you sell those off, are you going to make some money from that as well after you pay off the vendor finance piece? Yeah, I will now because there's been some yield compression. So yep. I can sell them off at a lower yield than what I purchased them for. So, I mean, I guess that's just luck, really. <laughs> well, I mean, that was just the good timing of the market. But I just made sure that it made sense anyway. But, yeah, I think I'm going to make a little bit more now just because of the yield compression. Fantastic. And I think one of the things that people need to take keep in mind when they're thinking about doing vendor finance is you do need an exit strategy. You do have to pay that vendor finance out, whether it's in 12 months, 18 months, or even sometimes up to five years. Mm. It could be longer as well. But you do need to have a solid plan that can be executed and you can display to the vendor how you're going to do that. And realistically, that vendor is he's investing in you. He's keeping money in that deal And he's trusting you that you're going to be able to come up with what you are saying you can do to be able to pay him out. So you definitely need the exit strategy, whether or not that is because you could have still, even if it's one title, you could have subdivided it yourself. 
Yeah, so exactly. that could have been, it's not, you You just got really, really, um, you know, lucky with uh, having two titles. It was almost the perfect deal to find for vendor financing with a whole situation going under contract, getting pulled off the market, having the, the multiple tenancies, having the two titles and the option to just sell it half of it down now. It's, it's almost the perfect vendor finance deal. Yeah, no, you're right. And that's so key, like you said, with vendor finance, that you just need to have a really clear strategy in mind or have something in the background, like say, for example, I've got a small development in the background that you know that you can quickly sell off and make a profit. So you have a way because those 18 months are going to roll around quicker than expected. It always does. Then you need to have the money. (laughs) Yep. And so did you tell the vendor and the agent what you do as in you're having, you've got another development. So you, you have that backup as well. I did say that, yeah. I said, worst case scenario, I have this as well, which provides. But I, he doesn't have security over that, though. But it's just that he knows that in the in the back of his mind that that is a possibility as well, that I'm not on the street, basically, yeah. and this is the only property I've got. So he knows that if it goes south, because you, you never know with commercial, for whatever reason, it might sit on the market for a while, it shouldn't in this market now. And also it's easier to sell off cheaper properties than a big one. Yep. So there will be more people looking in sort of the 750 to 850 bracket than it would be sort of the 2 million mark. So, you know, because that's all your super funds and all of that. And you could also sell them off individually. So I could potentially sell them off for around the 250 mark for each shop as well. So there are a few different ways that that can be done. If, you know, for example, vacancies scare people off, then the vacant ones could be sold off separately. And I'll just keep the vacancy for myself and sell that off at a later date when it's tenanted. And did you actually speak directly to the owner as well as during the deal? No, no, I never did. He was in the States at the time. So I never spoke to him directly. Wow, that's interesting. And so like how many times have you tried to get vendor finance? Just I want to give the, the listeners like the audience, an idea of how long this actually takes. How many times, how many offers have you made? Like how many, how long have you been trying to do this? Probably, I've probably asked for it about 10 times. Yep. I would say, yeah, I mean, I always ask. You can always ask. And then, you know, you know sort of straight away if they're interested in that or not. But yeah, I would say if you want to do it, just ask straight away, just a phone conversation with the agent because you just want to know because there is no way, if you can't buy it any other way, there is no point in spending all that time on the research because it does jade you a bit if you just do research and research and, and nothing ever comes to fruition. That is quite yeah. disheartening if you keep doing that too long. So I think just get it on the table, see if they're interested. If not, just move on. And how long have you been researching and and learning about commercial property? Probably since 2018 when I uh, joined the James Dawson commercial property blueprint course. And the reason was I got sort of pushed into it due to my residency because I wasn't allowed under the residency rules, uh, temporary residency rules and my visa to purchase an investment property, a residential investment property. So I only had two options. I could either develop which is why I'm doing my development, uh, or by commercial. And those were the two things. So I've been sort of pushed into more advanced strategies based on that, which is good (laughs) in a way. But I was angry at the time that I couldn't just buy a house, renovate it and, you know, (laughs) get on with it. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so realistically, this owner could have probably put the deal back on the market and sold it to a, you know, a normal kind of offer. Why do you think in general, why do you think he, he chose your offer being, it was a lot more creative. He could have just really put on the market and got a real like, you know, cash offer bank, you know, all kind of financing for it. Why do you think he chose you over other offers? Yeah, it's a hard one. It's just guessing. I mean, cause I don't, he never, since I never spoke to him directly, he never told me why and the agents, you know, reasons why is also a guess as well because they just say stuff sometimes as well I don't, I don't know I mean if he what he didn't even put it back on the market because then I was there in the wings so I guess he, he just never he just never did it he just thought oh, okay great I'll just sell it to this person and then I don't have to put it back on the market I'm not sure I mean to me if you have a property that you can sell three to five thousand to list it it's not a huge deal of money but yep. some people still you know they don't like spending that money. They just say, oh, I want to save on agents fees. That that could be a reason that he had already spent like X amount of money listing it and then didn't want to spend it again, especially since he had a buyer now in the wings and he was happy with the 1.82. He wouldn't have sold it to me for my first offer was one or my option one offer was 1.7. He would have never let it go for that. So if that was my offer and my firm offer, he would have probably put it out on the market again because I then had the other offer and he was interested in that because it wasn't too far away from his listing price of 1.9. Maybe he just thought, I'll just go with it. Easy. (laughs) Yeah, I think that you became the easy option. You're the path of least resistance. It was the easiest thing for him to do at that time. It wasn't at the start, but you've timed it exactly correctly to get him basically really disheartened in selling the property. And then you've come along, you've put in a a good offer, basically almost at asking price. Your timing was impeccable, getting him in exactly the right time to make yourself the easy option. And I think that's that's the best way to get your offer over the line is just be the easy option. Just Mm. do it. Do it so they have to do the least amount of work. They have to do the least amount of research, any kind of, you know, thing that makes it hard for them. Be that person that comes in and says, I can do this no matter what. I'm your man. You know, I'm a woman in your case. (laughs) (laughs) And also, actually, one other thing that I forgot to say is that I never asked for long settlement. I always just said I want to settle within a shortish period of time. And it did look like, so we settled on the 22nd of December and that got hairy in the end because yep. it just it got really tight and it was almost going to be delayed but then everyone just pushed through at the end and got it over the line and I think that that was really exciting for him that I also didn't ask for a long settlement period and it was going to drag out over Christmas and so it was going to be done and dusted by Christmas and that was it so I think that he was really keen on that as well yeah so I mean if people don't know it's very very hard to get deals over the line the closer you get to Christmas because basically all of the banks they've completed all their targets for lending and stuff like that or sometimes at the coming in close to Christmas like in November it's easier to get lending because they need to meet a quota but after you get into December it's very very hard because people are shutting down and things like that so what was the actual terms that you put forward for the deal? How long did you have due diligence? How long was the actual settlement in days and any other terms and special conditions in there? So I always write a letter in Word 
just to make it a little bit formal. I know some people like doing emails, but I always like to put it on my company letterhead yep. and just put it like in a formal offer just so they can refer to it. So I just offer one was 1.7 and is subject to 21 day due diligence, formal approval of finance, formal review of the contract and leases, and then 21 day settlement period after formal approval of finance has been received. So I checked with the broker and I said, where is the longest period of time in terms of settlement? So how long does it take to get the settlement done after you've been formally approved. Because usually the the time is in getting the formal approval. But once that's done, they're quite keen to just move on as well. So that's why I structured it in that way, because that sounds really attractive. But then I could always come back to him and say, well, I don't have formal approval yet. So then the 21 days would only start ticking from the day that I got formal approval. Yeah, that's smart. That's very, very good. So realistically, it looked to him like it's going to be a 42-day settlement, which is pretty stock standard for even residential or mostly residential. But realistically, you if you didn't have that financial approval, it just didn't start. So you've got an out there. It's good. Yes. That's very, 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 very smart. Yeah. So last question, and you've already said this before, but so how much cash flow is this deal putting into your bank account every single month? So after the loan has been taken out, all the expenses and all the little bits and pieces that, you know, the agent does on a monthly basis, like cleaning, all of that stuff, or, you know, the invoices they process, uh, 5500 per month. Wow, that is crazy. So yeah. you had no income, you're on maternity leave, and now you have $5,000 coming into your bank account because of your knowledge and tenacity and just staying power in trying to get this done. Absolutely inspiring and amazing. Um, Great deal. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been amazing. Where can the listeners go to contact you? Um, They can send me an email. It's probably the easiest at Cecilia, C-E-C-I-L-I-A at Nordica, N-O-R-D-I-C-A.com.au. Perfect. Today's investor on fire has been Cecilia Axelson. Cheers, C. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you to my guest, Cecilia Axelson. It was an absolute ripper of a show, and I'll look forward to hearing about your next amazing vendor finance deal in future. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for the music. And remember, in the words of Grant Cardone, be obsessed or be average. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production.